Happy New Year. Oh, you too, huh? I see some of you guys are suffering from the post-holiday blues. You know how you can tell? Anytime someone says to you, Happy New Year, you're saying in response, Happy New Year. That tells us you're not really that happy. So what did you do for New Year's Eve? Did you stay up and watch the ball drop? Anybody? Oh, a few, a few of you guys? Yes, if you did, if you watched it on the internet, uh, they say up to a million people gather at Times Square in New York to watch this gigantic crystal ball drop. And of course, artists are out there freezing and singing and stuff like that and having a good old time. When they show the pictures of the people, they look cold, but they look happy. Like they're really excited for a new year. Is that you? Were you excited for a new year? Anybody? No? Okay. All right. Well, let me try to cheer you up. Do you know that they drop lots of things around the U.S. on New Year's Eve? That's right. Here in California, in Temecula, they drop a bunch of grapes. Anybody been to the grape drop in Temecula? No? Okay. Uh, not much is going on here in the West Coast. Maybe, I don't know, people don't, are not crazy about New Year's. But in other parts of the U.S., lots of things get dropped. In Idaho, for example, to ring in the New Year, what do they drop? A potato. A car-sized potato. Imagine how many French fries we can make with that. Mm. Car-sized potato in downtown Boise. Uh, yes, in Pennsylvania... Uh, a state known for dropping the most things. Uh, in fact, they have the most drops. Here's some of the interesting things they drop. They drop a 10-foot Crayola crayon, 10-feet Crayola crayon, and they do it at 8 p.m. so the kids can go to bed. Pretty cool. <laughs> also in Pennsylvania, a giant M&M is dropped at midnight. Ooh, can you imagine that? A giant M&M. In Wisconsin... They drop an 80-pound decorated cheese wedge. An 80-pound decorated cheese wedge. It's Wisconsin, and when you're in Wisconsin, what do you do, Pathfinders? Cut the cheese. That's right. Cut the cheese. <clears throat> uh, let's see what other things. Oh, uh, in Florida, Brooksville, Florida, they, they drop a 200-pound tangerine. 200-pound tangerine. That sounds like fun. In Indiana, in Indianapolis, they drop an Indy car. You know, a race car for the racetrack? Nobody cares. Okay. No NASCAR fans. In Eastport, Maine, they drop a sardine. Uh, for the fishing industry, I guess. In uh, Princess Anne, Maryland, they drop a stuffed muskrat dressed in a top hat and a bow tie. His name is Marshall P. Muskrat. I don't know why. In Eastover, North Carolina, a three-foot-tall, 30-pound wooden flea is dropped. No idea why. And in Cincinnati, Ohio, a pig is flown to prove that at least once a year, pigs do fly. <laughs> lots of people have lots of different ways to welcome in in the new year. Maybe you stayed up till midnight, uh, you know, celebrating, uh, especially with your friends and family, waiting to light off fireworks or bang pots and pans. Or maybe, like many of us, you went to bed early. Any, uh, any, any, anybody went to bed early? That's right. Oh, kids are unhappy about that. Sorry, kids. <clears throat> maybe, uh, maybe the New Year didn't exactly bring a lot of excitement and fun for you. If you, if you saw the pictures 
or watch the videos online of people around the world like Sydney and uh, Dubai and Shanghai, uh, lots of people around the world get together and celebrate the start of a new year because for them it seems to hold promise, like something new, something possible uh, in this new year. And so they get excited and they're hopeful. But there may be some of you here in church today who have maybe experienced this holidays more like me. Maybe your Christmas wasn't quite so merry. Anybody? Amen. And maybe your New Year wasn't quite so happy. Anybody with me? Maybe you had to sort of like drum up the excitement. I saw a few of my friends here uh, from church on New Year's Eve, and they knew that I left early. <laughs> Sorry. Because <laughs> I wasn't feeling so happy at this New Year. Anybody else with me? You're suffering from the post-holiday blues. You're supposed to be happy, and yet you're not necessarily happy. But there could be a number of reasons for that. Maybe you didn't get that George Foreman quesadilla maker that we talked about, and you're just unhappy. You didn't get what you wanted for Christmas. Maybe you're the worrying type. You bought a lot of gifts, and now you don't know how you're going to pay off the credit card. Maybe you've got some big challenges up ahead when you get back to school the last half of your senior year, and you don't know what's going to happen next. Maybe you're the worrying type. Or maybe, just maybe, some of you have been dealing with some very significant burdens in this past year, 2014, and they are unresolved as we move into a new year. The cool thing about a new year is that everyone seems to think we can start something, right? That's why New Year's resolution, oh, this year I'm really going to fill in the blank. And yet, as you know, most resolutions only last about an average of five days. So you've got two more days to go, and then you're off the hook whatever your resolution was, usually an average of five days. But maybe, for some of us, the new year doesn't necessarily scream new possibilities, but maybe we've been bringing into this new year unresolved burdens. Today I want to talk to you about that, if that's where you are. And if that's not you, listen, if you're one of those people who are just super excited about this new year, rub off on the rest of us. Please, give somebody a hug, you know, pinch, whatever you got to do, but share some of that. But if you're like me and you've been maybe struggling through this holiday season as, as much as you wanted to celebrate and be happy, if, if you haven't been feeling it, today's uh, Word of God is especially for you. And it comes from the book of Lamentations. So I want you to open your Bibles to it, if there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. And we're going to be in Lamentations chapter 3. <clears throat> Um, Lamentations is a small book just after Jeremiah, so you're in the minor prophets, I mean the major prophets, right before the minor prophets, and uh, it's a book that was written by the prophet Jeremiah, and it's called Lamentations um, because that's exactly what Jeremiah is doing in this book. It's not a very popular book, like I said, it's hard to find, most people have to kind of scour back and forth, and essentially it's a book of poems written by Jeremiah. Now, once we start reading this poem, you'll recognize it's not the kind of poem that you'll find at your Barnes & Noble, mostly, um, because it's, it's not a really happy poem. It doesn't even rhyme, at least in English. And um, like the words of the title, it, 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 it's a lament, which it's kind of like expressing sorrow, or to put it in today's vernacular, it's, it's a whine, uh, like W-H-I-N-E, like he's whining pretty much. He's lamenting and he's feeling bad for himself. That's why we call it Lamentations. So I'm going to read with you. You're going to read with me and we're going to see if there's anything in Jeremiah's words that connect with us today. Okay, so we're in chapter 3. 
Lamentations, you can pull it up on your iPhones or iPads or whatever you got. If you got a Samsung, I'm sorry. Um, chapter 3, verse 1. It's what it says. I am the man who has seen affliction by, affliction by the rod of his wrath, and he has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long, and he has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones, besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship, and he has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. Jeremiah is writing a poem about God. That might seem strange given what I've just read. When I first read this poem, I was hoping that he would say, yeah, the devil did this to me. Because we want to think like God is good and the devil is bad, which is true. But Jeremiah right now is expressing some frustrations with God. That's what he's saying. So the he in this entire poem is God. Okay, keep that in mind. I'm going to read this part again. He, that's God, has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. Verse 7, he has walled me in so I cannot escape and he has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry out for help, he shuts out my prayer and he has blocked my way with stones and has made my paths crooked. Jeremiah is expressing, expressing some deep-seated frustration with his God. Have you felt like doing that recently? Have you felt like kind of getting this off your chest with God and letting him know that you are disappointed? Last week, we met together, and, and Pastor Sam in the youth department led us in this exercise of, of, of building our altar. You remember? Those of you guys who were here, and we took the time to write on these stones some of the things that we are grateful that God had done, moments to praise God. And I, I'm sure you thought through and, and, and remembered some some things that God had blessed you with. But I'm also sure that at the same time, you may have remembered some things that didn't go quite so well this past year, right? The thing is, you might, some of you might actually be in this moment living through very difficult circumstances. Maybe you're struggling with unresolved issues at work. Things didn't work out the way you planned. Maybe you're struggling with conflict in your homes between husbands, wives, or parents and children. Maybe they came home to visit for the holidays and the visit wasn't, didn't work out the way you planned. Maybe they grew up too much. <laughs> Maybe you are dealing with carrying some residue issues from the past year. And quite possibly, like Jeremiah, some of us, some of you, some of us, may have been carrying some stuff for a while now. And asking God to help for a while now. And still, no resolution. That's what Jeremiah is going through. That's why he writes this lament. So he turns his attention to God. And he writes this, this, this poem about the way he feels. He's saying, God, is, God is, has blocked my path. God has weighed me down. I, 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 I cried out to help, but it's like he's not listening. Ever feel like that? Are you there right now? You don't have to answer that. Just think about it. He's frustrated and he's hurt, deeply hurt. That's why the words are so strong. He's essentially saying, my skin, my flesh, I'm growing old. My bones are crushed. 
he continues, he says, like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, verse, verse 10, he, that's God, dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. That's a strong words to say to God, I think. So what we can tell from this poem is that Jeremiah is really hurting. He's really angry. And in some ways, that's just honest, right? Because I think some of us are also really hurting and, and angry, maybe with God. And so Jeremiah is being real honest about the way he's experiencing this. And maybe it resonates with you because it resonates with me. And he says this, verse 12, God, he drew his bow and made me the target of his arrows. He's saying it's like God is just shooting arrows at me. He pierced my heart, verse 13, with arrows from his quiver, and I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mocked me in song all day long, and he has filled me with bitter herbs and sated me with gall. Jeremiah was a prophet, and he was called to be a messenger, a voice for God at a time in, in Israelite history when the people did not want to hear from God. So he was called to represent God in a time period when no one was going to respond to his message. I just want you to understand the kind of frustration this might bring upon Jeremiah's life. He was asked to represent God when the people had completely turned their backs on God. In fact, Jeremiah is really frustrated by the time he writes these laments because he's been preaching God for decades now and the people have not listened. It's as if he's been working and working and working and he's got nothing to show for it. In fact, what he just described in the last few verses is exactly what goes on. Every time he preaches God and he says, no, let's return to God, let's trust him, the people laugh at him. That's why he says, it's like you're making me a laughing stock. All my people just laugh at me. He's expressing frustration, a special kind of frustration that you might understand if you're in ministry. It's like he's doing what he thinks God has called him to do, but he sees no results. He sees nothing happening. And he grows frustrated and angry and a little resentful that God asked him to do this. You know what that's like? I, 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 I'm sure some of you do. Especially some of you who have stepped out in faith this past year, 2014, to, or previously to do something for God. Maybe he asked you to lead a group or start a new ministry or maybe try to stand up for God in your family. And when you take the step of faith out and then the people back up and they ridicule you and you feel like, God, I thought you asked me to do this, but it's not working out. It certainly is, is something that happens, a, a, a thought pattern that happens to pastors. Just, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be real with you. Because one of the things that the devil says to us, I'm just be real honest with you, okay? Bear with me, please. One of the things that the devil says to us, to us pastors, is this. You are insignificant. You make no difference. That's what the devil likes to say to us. Every time we as pastors plan and we preach and we present and we lead the church in something, the devil comes right along and he says, whatever you did, didn't matter. They don't care. They don't care. He fills us with this sense of despair and futility. It's the truth. And that is exactly what Jeremiah is feeling. 
He's saying, I've been working and doing, and all I get for my troubles is that they're laughing at me. The people don't care. You know, Jeremiah has been preaching this for 40 years, but it's exactly during this time that the people of God rebelled so much against God. I mean, they turned their back on God, do whatever they wanted, that God had to pull away his protection. And when God pulled away his protection, they were taken over by one of their enemies, neighboring enemies, and the Israelites are currently in captivity. God's people living like slaves. And these enemies have even burned down the city. They've even burned down Jerusalem. So Jeremiah has had to watch under his pastoral leadership, under his prophetic leadership, the people walk away from God, turn their backs completely, and be overtaken by a different kingdom. And watch his beloved city torn down. And this whole time he's been preaching and teaching and pleading and nothing. Now do you understand why he's writing these words? Would you feel the same? Imagine if you were attempting to do something that God called you to do for, for four decades and nada. The people would just mock him, would not turn back to God. And so they were living in this mess. And every time things got worse and Jeremiah would step up and would say, no, you guys, we got to turn back to God. The people would say, for what? For what? God is powerless. He can't do anything. Look at us. It's a funny thing. Because the Bible clearly tells us that the reason they're in that situation is because they walked away from God. But here's the thing. Every time someone says return to God, we blame him for the things we got ourselves into. Do you know what I mean? You know what I mean. Jeremiah is not doing that. Jeremiah is issuing a different complaint towards God. Jeremiah is saying, I've been doing the right thing. But I still see no evidence of your work. Fascinating, isn't it? I think it's fascinating because I might be the only one that identifies with that. But I don't think so. I think it's fascinating because there may be some of you in the audience who, who are thinking the same thing. Like, God, I've been trying to do the right thing. I don't see any results yet. I've been trying to be a good example in my family or to my husband and my wife, but nothing's happening. God, I've been faithfully showing up to church and doing this thing, but I don't see any results. God, I've been faithfully paying my tithes, but I don't see, you know, heavenly storehouses pouring anything down on me. So we're complaining to God saying, God, I think I've been doing the right thing, but I'm not feeling it here. I'm not happy, and I'm not merry. That's what Jeremiah is saying. So as I look and I read, if you read a story in the book of Jeremiah, you might be like, ooh, poor Jeremiah. He has a reason to be upset. And, and, and you might feel the same way about yourself. You might say, I've been trying real hard with, with my teenage sons, God, and it's getting me nowhere. You might say to yourself, God, I've been, I've been faithful and loving to this woman that you married me with, but I see nothing happening here. It's like you shut me out. I'm praying. You, you don't respond. That's what Jeremiah is feeling. All right? So he's pulled back the veil here. He's not just filling this book with fluff. He's being real honest. And the reason I'm telling you this today is because I think that as we start this new year, we need to be honest about the situation that we're in. Yes, of course, there's possibilities out there. We'll talk about those in just a second. But sometimes 
We cannot overcome the past until we begin to acknowledge it in the present. And that's what he's doing. He's saying, God, I'm looking around. I'm looking around. And all I see is discouragement. Let me read these last couple of lines here. Jeremiah says, verse 16, He, God, has broken my teeth with gravel and trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. I can't even remember the last time I felt good. That's what Jeremiah is saying. Interesting, isn't it? Because you came to church today like I did, and people are like, oh, Happy New Year. How are you doing? How are you going? And you're like, I'm great. But deep down inside, some of you, not all of you, and I hope it's not all of you. Maybe it's just me. If it is me, then pray, pray for me. Deep down inside, you're like, yeah, I'm doing great. But deep down inside, you're saying, I'm not sure I remember what feeling great. It's been so long. That's what he's saying. It's like, I remember, I, I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped from the Lord Verse 19, I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Jeremiah is saying, even in this moment, all I can think of is how bad things are for me. All I can feel is the weight of the burdens that I'm carrying. Anybody else resonate with Jeremiah? We are, on one hand, you know, celebrating New Year's and, yes, having people over. But some of us are carrying significant burdens that seem to have been unresolved in the year 2014. Some of us are carrying heavy weight that we have no answer for, challenges that we just can't overcome. It might be a habit or something in your life that you're trying to get over and you just don't seem to. It might be something that you're trying to fix and it just doesn't get fixed. And so we keep carrying it. Some of us, let's be honest, from year to year to year. Jeremiah says, that's all I can see when I open my eyes. I can feel the weight and I feel discouraged and I'm. I'm depressed. He says, I'm depressed. Those are raw honesty in all those verses. And then he breaks and he says this, verse 21. And yet this I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope. It's a fascinating little break right there. So he was just honest about the things that you and I, if we were honest, we would identify with. He says, I've got all this pain, all this bitterness. That's what's happening in my life. That's the truth about me. That's the truth. And yet, he says, I'm going to remind myself, call to mind, I'm going to remind myself of these things so I can have hope. Here they are. Verse 22. Because of God's great love, we are not consumed. Truth number one, he says, because of God's great love, we are not consumed. I mean, that's a truth. It's not a very heartwarming truth, but it's the truth. Do you know that God has the right at any given moment to rain down fire and consume us all? Or water. Or any other calamity that he chooses. Because we are all, yourself and myself included, guilty of breaking God's rules and breaking his heart. And the punishment for that, the natural outcome of breaking God's heart, is you lose your life. Not a great New Year's sermon, right? You guys are like, I'm glad I came to church today. 
Woo! It's just the truth, though. So why does life continue? Why does this earth continue to rotate and wait? Jeremiah says, because of God's great love. See, the thing is, for us, that's more like, a, oh, you should feel guilty about complaining. But for Jeremiah, this is an absolute truth. The people had walked away from God so far that God had every right, just like he had in previous times, rained down fire. Do you remember the story? Sodom and Gomorrah? Where God said, I will save it if there's just a handful of righteous people. But there were none, so God had no choice. That's not what God wants to do. It's just that God understands because he knows the truth that's in your heart. And in this time where Jeremiah is preaching, that's the kind of situation they're living. So he has every right, God, to just destroy like he will ultimately. But Jeremiah says, but because of God's great love, he is patient and he waits and he waits and he does not consume us. I understand, though. That's not the very heartwarming thought and a very encouraging thought. But, but at least he's recognizing one truth there, that God has great love. Look at what he says next. And his compassions never fail. It's an interesting expression because he puts compassion with an S. It's a multiple, compassion. He's essentially saying that God does something unfailingly towards us. He gives us something. I stopped here as I was studying and I started thinking, what is God giving me? Because the honest truth is like, I'm so surrounded by negativity sometimes that I can't see it. You with me? Right? Maybe it's first world problems. Uh, my kids this past week, you know, obviously we open a lot of gifts and stuff. But sometimes even with all this stuff, they're like, oh, I want more. <laughs> you with me? Right? Oh, I didn't get that thing that I wanted. But you have all this stuff. So it doesn't matter. We have this ability to only see the negativity here. And, and, and Jeremiah is saying, yes, that's all I see. I mean, you've got 20 verses of hurt and, 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 and pain and suffering. And yet he stops and he says, but God's compassions never fail. So I begin to think, what are God's compassions? I'm going to tell you what they are little by little as he breaks them down. The first one that I God called to my mind is this. I'll be honest with you. It's forgiveness. Do you know that every day when I wake up, I take a breath because God has forgiven me my sins of the previous day? Every morning when I wake up and my eyes open, it's like God's saying to me, I forgive you. I'll give you another day. That's the truth. Because I'm guilty of breaking God's heart every day. Honestly. I try, but it's hard. And every day, God renews his pledge of forgiveness towards me. Jesus Christ died to make sure that that pledge would be sealed in his blood. Forgiveness comes every day, every moment. And that's what, that's what Jeremiah says. Look, he says, his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. New every morning. It's the beauty of the way God designed our physical clock that the day ends and we get to start anew. And that every morning when you wake up, you say, today I'm going to at least attempt to do it differently. And what God is expressing here by his ability to give us life day in and day out, day after day by sharing his forgiveness, is that one day you and I will wake up and decide to extend that forgiveness to the people close to us. That as his compassions are new with us, maybe one day our compassions might be new with him or her that lies beside me or works across the hall from me. So Jeremiah says, all I can see is 
pain and bitterness. But I know this. This I know, so I remind myself that God's compassions are new every morning. Look at the next phrase. For great is your faithfulness. He finally speaks to God. You see that? He's been saying, God did this to me, God did this to me. But then he lifts up his eyes to God and he says, great is your faithfulness. The thing about God is that when your circumstances change, he remains the same. God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. The heart of God remains true from the very beginning until the very end. And deep down in his heart, there is love and compassion for you. That is not changed by what you're living in this moment. And Jeremiah is reminding himself of that. See, in his world, all he sees is pain and hurting and, and, and futility, and yet he reminds himself that God is still faithful. It's fascinating to me because I feel like sometimes it's very hard to call this to mind, especially at a time when everyone else expects you to be positive about the future. It's New Year's, right? What are we going to do this year? What's going to happen this year? And that's great. But Jeremiah is being honest, and so I'd like to be honest with you. God has been very good to us this past year. Let's just be honest. Here at our church community. He has blessed us in many, many ways. And yet it's easy for me as your pastor at the beginning of this year to feel pessimistic about the future. Any given day, any given moment, any given problem, and there are problems, makes me feel like, oh, it's all going to fall apart. I'm just being honest. Because we are predisposed to look at the immediate trouble in front of us, easily forget previous blessings, and make it very difficult to hope for the future. And that's what Jeremiah is doing. He's saying, I'm surrounded by problems, and yet I will put my mind on what I know to be true for always, that God is faithful, that God does not change, and that his mercies are new to me every morning. One of the great lessons that my wife and I have been learning this past year, year and a half, by the help of our friend Chris and Alma, our friends Chris and Alma, is that God gave us a blessing of a day. And that oftentimes we make ourselves crazy by thinking too far and overwhelm ourselves by trying to fix everything in one day. But the Bible clearly says, just handle today for today. Each day has enough trouble on its own, right? Don't worry about tomorrow. Hard to do, I understand. But this is what Jeremiah is saying. God has blessed you and will give you enough strength will give you enough faithfulness to make it through this day. And when you wake up tomorrow, the same will be true. So he's telling me, don't get overwhelmed by all the challenges that exist. Just put one foot in front of the other and live this day for this day. So Jeremiah says, that's how I know that God's faithfulness are new every morning. Because I have strength and I rise. And then he continues. He says, so I say to myself, verse 24, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. For the Lord is good to those who, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It's a fascinating statement for Jeremiah to make and one that I'm challenging myself to make. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion. 
And what Jeremiah is doing there, he's putting a different contrast between what he's living and where his true value lies. When he looks around and he says, what I've been doing in ministry and what has it got me, it's nothing. There's no evidence there. But he says, but yet God is my portion. I do this for him. My life is for him. My ministry is for him. Everything I do, I will find my identity in him. Not in how well the people think. I will do this that God has called me not to make you happy. Or so that you will think I'm great. Or so that you are satisfied with my ministry. I will do what God has called me for him. I will live this life in my family or in my work not for the results not for the evidences, but for him. For God is my portion. He defines me. He calls me his own. He is my salvation. And so, Jeremiah says, I will wait for him. I will wait for him. Fascinating. Some of you, like me, have been waiting a long time. And you're tempted to give up, maybe even today. Some of you are thinking, this year, I don't know, God, if you don't, if you don't do something special, I might just quit coming to church altogether. God, if you don't do something, I'm just going to stop. I'm going to stop doing all these things. But Jeremiah says, no, 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 no. Just wait. See, hope requires waiting. If you never have to wait for an answer, You'll never develop trust or faith. But hope is in the waiting. If you're in a situation today or have been in a situation for some time and you're frustrated, I'm going to tell you something. You're in the perfect place. You're in the perfect place. Because there in that, in that moment of trial and of anguish and of hurt and bitterness, God is finally molding you. He's finally preparing you to receive his ultimate blessing of deliverance. When you and I can finally understand that all that we are, everything that we do, does not find its meaning in anywhere else but in him. So let hope rise for you this year. Not evidenced by what's around you, but by the knowledge that God in fact has called you, each and every one, his beloved son, and his beloved daughter. And that the God who promised to save you and your family in the past will be the same God who saves you and the family both in the present and in the future. So let hope rise in your heart, not evidenced by the circumstances that you're in, but by the truths that God has instilled and the promises that he has made on you and on us. And let hope rise in our community, not for all the things that we have done, but for the one that we follow. That this year be a year maybe of waiting, but definitely a year of hope.